Uh, it's really good uh, to be with you this morning, uh, church, um, to be able to relate face-to-face as opposed to trying to engage through a camera lens. Uh, some people do that really well, I know, but I also know I'm not one of them, so it's great, to, it's great to have that engagement. If I were to sum up the first 15 chapters of Exodus, I would say it's about God intervening to save. He saved the helpless baby Moses and placed him in the one setting in which he would be safe, nurtured, given the best of everything while still being influenced by his own Hebrew mother. All while under the protection of Pharaoh's own household, his own daughter. We've had a front row seat as God saves the nation of Israel from the harsh slavery of the Egyptians through his miraculous power over creation and even life and death itself. We saw that through the plagues where Pharaoh's own priests sought to replicate what God was doing. But even they had to acknowledge what is going on is from the hand of God. We saw at Passover, every firstborn male born in Egypt would die unless the blood of the lamb was sprinkled over the lintels and the doorposts. And God miraculously sets the people free as a result. Finally, God saves from the anger of Pharaoh as he seeks to unleash his fury on Moses and all those with him as they're chased down by Pharaoh's army. Pharaoh changes his mind and he sends his army after them with his mighty chariots in the lead. Again, God miraculously saves. Chapter 15 begins with a song of praise from Moses and the people as they celebrate the fact that God has redeemed them. They cry out, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. But God's saving, redemptive, unmerited intervention in our lives is the beginning, not the end of an extraordinary journey for all those who would call Christ their saviour. He does not call, rescue, he does not restore, forgive and save and then say, well, you're on your own now. Good luck, I'll see you in heaven one day. I mean, hopefully you can work things out for yourselves and I trust good fortune shines on you. But if not, well, I wish you all the best. No, God saves for a purpose. He gives direction. He continues to journey with us. And it is in that text today that has just been read to us that the refining of the people ramps up in earnest. And sadly, tragically, most will be found wanting. So much so that everyone over the age of 20 that leaves Egypt with Moses except for Caleb and Joshua, will die in the desert. The pattern of today's passage is repeated time and again throughout not just Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, but it's a recorded theme throughout the Bible. God, out of his infinite mercy and grace, reveals himself and provides for the human race, yet we constantly want to walk our own path, often grumbling and complaining along the way. Rebelling against God, God's design is the lasting stain that sin leaves on the human heart. 
Far from being grateful for what we have, our default setting so often is to grumble about what we don't have. In truth, when we forget God's faithfulness to provide even God's own people, those who proclaim Christ are prone to fall into old, unhealthy habits. It seems all too easy to experience God's grace one moment and grumble about all manner of things the next. And I think if I was going to uh, title today's talk, it would be simply this, From Grace to Grumbling. We'll see this portion of Exodus speaks of God's test and God's provision for the people. With this overriding theme that God's grace can be so easily turned to grumbling. And it's this glaring thread that we cannot miss running throughout this passage. That when we find our own wants and needs become preeminent, the natural expression is to grumble and complain. So as we... As we've had read to us this morning, Moses, we find there in Exodus chapter 15, leads the people into the wilderness. And they endure three days without water. Now, I understand three days without water in any sort of setting is a stretch. But you would think, as we read this, you would think after what they had witnessed in Egypt, the plagues, the, the rescue of the Passover, being rescued from the... the Pharaoh's army, you would think there might be a different response from that of the grumbling that is described to us. Though, human nature being what it is, perhaps that's really expecting too much. We find out who our hope is really in through the trials of life. When we're in times of plenty, life is so easy. We have more than enough and it's easy to believe our comfort, our security, Our health or wealth is due to our own endeavours. Now, don't get me wrong. I know some of us work harder than others. Some invest more wisely. Some make life decisions that work out well. And many of us will rightly acknowledge that God has blessed them greatly. But the real temptation of the culture we enjoy, of the culture that we're immersed in, are thoughts that go like this. I've worked hard for all I have. Or look what my efforts have accomplished. And before too long, we take credit for more than we should. We may not say it out loud, but when we take God's provision and see it as our own right, whether it's to do with our health, our financial stability, whether it's our gifts and talents, the relationships we have, whether it's our job, or even whether it's our ministry, When we see these things as our right, we leave ourselves open to grumbling and complaining when things don't go according to plan. Now we know from what we've read this morning that God has his purposes in leading the people in the wilderness. And he tells Moses directly in verses 25 of chapter 15 and verse 4 of chapter 16. God says to Moses, I'm testing the people. But this test is not designed to teach God about the people. God knows their heart already. God didn't choose this people because they were a holy, righteous people. He chose them because he chose them. Because out of his goodness of his heart, he said, I choose you to be my people. So if God didn't need to learn about the hearts of this people, what purpose 
is behind the testing. Writer to the Hebrews says, nothing in, his, in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God knows the heart of man. So why, God, why do you say to Moses, I'm going to test the people, I'm testing the people? Well, the test was to teach the people, and not only them at the time, but all those who would follow to show the people their own selfishness and hard-heartedness, but also for you and I to recognize something of ourselves in their responses. I would encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 sometime and read what it says there, the first 11 verses, because it describes, Paul describes in detail the hows and whys of why the people were led through the wilderness. Paul says the nation wandered for so long and so many died during this time because they worshipped idols, they were sexually immoral, they constantly put God to the test. Now we read those things, we we understand. You you worship idols, sexually immoral, uh, you're constantly testing God's faithfulness. Is it any wonder people died in the wilderness? But then he goes on in verse 11. Uh, in verse 10, and he says, do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Some of them died because of their grumbling hearts. These things, Paul goes on to say, happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. These tests came so the people's own hearts would be revealed to themselves, but, they, but also so that God would be able to speak to our hearts through the lessons we we learn through them. Friends, our God uses the challenges, the frustrations, the everyday circumstances of life and how how we respond to them to grow, to refine, and yes, to reveal something of our true self so we might better understand ourselves, better understand our strengths and weaknesses, better understand our greatest needs. And sometimes God uses these times to show what he himself already knows. Perhaps it's our selfishness, our hardness of heart, hypocrisy, perhaps there's too much dependence upon self, lack of forgiveness, or is so often the case, our propensity to grumble and complain when things don't go according to our agenda. Now you may have noticed that while we're told twice in this passage the Lord was testing the people, yet their selfish, small-minded response to that situation leads Moses in chapter 17 and verse 7 to say that the people actually tested the Lord when they said, is the Lord really among us? It's, It's a really sobering thing to read those words and consider how we might be testing the Lord through our own demands, through our own wants. Yet as we read on, God's grace, his willingness to provide in the start, is in stark contrast to the demands of his people that are constantly grumbling and complaining. And as we head to chapter 16, we see it unfolds God's tremendous provision. I mean, after all, he had saved them from Israel. Was he going to see them perish without looking after them? No, he provides. Chapter 16 describes God graciously providing food, both bread and meat. 
And he's already demonstrated his ability to provide water for all the nation, all that they needed. So we look on and ask ourselves, why? Why did they grumble so much? But it's always easier, isn't it, to see the shortcomings in others. We look on and see bitterness or complaining in others, and we see it all too easily. It seems obvious to us how the people should have responded, how they should have trusted in God's goodness and provision. Yet I wonder what challenges do you and I face in the here and now, and how are we responding to them? I'm not just referring to the significant trials of life. That's a reality. Many of us are facing significant trials in our life. But what about the mundane every day? What about when you're stuck in traffic? When you come home and it seems the kids have found the red cordial and overdosed on it? What about that bill you receive that is more than you expected? Your spouse is not responding as you want. The weather has turned. You're not appreciated as you should be. Heaven forbid there's another COVID lockdown. Or maybe civil compliance has sent you a fine for going just a few k's over the speed limit. I feel I had to include that because that was my experience during the week. So what does the passage disclose about grumbling and complaining? Well, I think there's four things that are pointed out to us that uh, Shabu and Nikki read about grumbling and complaining that we could learn from. Firstly, we're told in chapter 6 and verse 2 that grumbling is highly contagious. This is what it says, chapter 16 and verse 2, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses in the wilderness. I don't know if you can remember being in a group where there is such a negative attitude, but it's very hard to row against the tide in that kind of environment. It's hard not to conform ourselves to the view of everyone around us, to the prevailing attitude of those around us. I've been there. I've been there in a church situation, and it's hard. I've been there in a work situation where there just seems to be bitterness everywhere because of the way people are treated. And it's hard. It's hard not to fall into, the, into line with what everyone else says and does in those circumstances. I simply don't believe the whole congregation, everyone of the congregation of Israel, were all just negative, bitter, or ungrateful by nature, but were more swayed by the ramblings of those around them. And before long, everyone is of the same mind. I'm reminded of Paul's words to the Corinthians in chapter 15. Bad company corrupts good habit. I wonder for you and I, just how much our response to the challenges and trials of life can have an effect on those around us. Clearly it did on the people of Israel. Secondly, we read in the very next verse, verse 3 of chapter 16, grumbling leads to a reinterpretation of historical events. Look what it says there. The people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. I mean, really? Is that what they remember? Oh, we just sat around and we enjoyed it, fellowship. We sat by the meat pots. We had our fill. We went to bed. We woke up when we wanted to the next day. We decided what we were going to do. Hang on. That wasn't their experience. 
Weren't these people under the harsh hand of slavery, being forced to work harder, to do more with even less? Were they not treated poorly and viewed with increasing mistrust by the Egyptians? How often do we say something like, I remember when we did this and we didn't have the problems we do now. Or one of my favourites, when I was young. When I was young, it was like this. Or in my other job, we did this way and it seemed to work much better. Or even when I was involved in youth group, when I used to lead Bible studies, when I was a Sunday school teacher, we did it this way. It's not that past experiences are not of value, they are, absolutely. But sometimes we tend to only remember what we want to when we're thinking of historical facts. Perhaps we're not remembering the whole story. Perhaps we're not uh, including the whole story when we say those things. Thirdly, while grumbling may be directed towards an individual or group, it is ultimately, it is ultimately a complaint against God. Verse 8 of chapter 16. Moses says this, The Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Now, if I'm honest, I know it's wrong to grumble and complain to God. But it somehow seems less of an issue to point our dissatisfaction toward others. So we complain about our government. Uh, about our parents, about all those relationships that we have, about our kids, our job, or even sometimes church or ministry leaders. But in every one of these instances, God's word, the Bible, gives direction as to how we should respond. And I'm fairly sure, I'm pretty certain, it doesn't include grumbling. God tells us how to, how to deal with the, these relationships of life. With our marriages, with our parents, with our kids, how to conduct ourselves before the government, before those who are over us in leadership. As such, in God's eyes, our grumbling about others is actually an expression of discontent of His dealings with us. That our view of what should be happening is somewhere superior to His sovereign will. And this is perhaps no better expressed than when the people come to the border of the promised land. In Numbers chapter 14, the spies come back and they report what it's like. And the people cry out. And it says there in Numbers chapter 14, all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in, that, that, in the wilderness? There's a bit of irony there. What they weren't to know is that most of them would end up dying in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will be prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let's, let's appoint someone to lead us to go back to Egypt. And this response leads to the fourth thing we learn about grumbling. We learn it's contagious. It involves selective memory. Ultimately, it's against God. But fourthly, grumbling or complaining is at the heart of unbelief. 
chapter 17 and verse 7. He called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord really there? Ultimately, their grumbling and complaining led them to question whether God was even in their midst. What difference might it make to my life if I can truly acknowledge God is in it with me in all circumstances, the big and the small ones of life? We know life is not always easy or fair, at least as we consider it. But when we're conscious of God's presence, able to trust in the truth regardless of how we feel, well, friends... That's how we see others walk the trials of life and still shine in their walk of faith. That's how we look on at other brothers and sisters in Christ and see them journeying faithfully through the trials that they, that they experience. Now, in case you're, you're sitting there wondering, is it really such a big issue for the church today? Is it really such a big deal? Doesn't a bit of grumbling keep people on their toes and help to keep them accountable? In case you're wondering... Let me quote the words, and I'm sure these words that most of you, many of you will know well. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or complaining, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation, among whom you shine like stars in the universe, as you hold out the word of truth. In contrast, we've seen that grumbling contributed to the whole generation perishing in the wilderness. Yet as Christians, one of the things that sets us apart, a powerful witness to the world, is the contentedness that we're able to have. A lack of complaining about all that's going on around us. And it's powerfully transforming in the lives of others. Why? Because it allows the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to shine out from us. What do those around you and I see? Grumbling or faith in action? So if it's true that grumbling and complaining has such a debilitating and complex role in our lives, how ought, ought we avoid these things? I'd like us to briefly look at that, but before we do, I want to delve into something that um, will just take me a moment to clarify. There is an enormous difference, a huge difference between grumbling and complaining and groaning, lamenting or crying out to our God in the deepest needs that we have. The psalmists wrote about those things. The psalms contain feelings of fear, of confusion, of disappointment, despair, sorrow, of grief and injustice and even anger as the writers poured out their hearts to the Lord. Many of the prophets, the disciples, and even Jesus Christ, our Saviour, cried out to God in their greatest heartfelt need. When he was on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friends, it's okay to bear our soul before our great God to ask why, to acknowledge that life is hard at times, telling the Lord it feels like you're about to break or sharing the greatest burdens of your heart. All of these expressions, the Father heart of God understands and he longs to minister to you and I in our greatest need. 
my wife and I were visiting someone who had surgery recently and had some complications. And, and as we were talking, they said, uh, Mike, can you tell us something you've been reading from the Bible to encourage me? And I found it really tricky. I was sharing with some of the guys earlier. I found it really tricky at that point because my mind had been focused on this passage, on grumbling and complaining. And I didn't think it was right to say to someone who was um, suffering discomfort at the time that uh, perhaps something like do everything without grumbling and complaining is, is what I've been focused on. And so I shared with them how encouraging it is to know that while as and particularly as we get older our bodies wear away it's 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 exciting to know that God has something better in store that we will one day be given a new body not affected by the decay by the breakdown that we experience and they replied to me and said that's something that I'm really really uh, support that I, I love to hear and am encouraged by but in the here and now it's hard. And as I was thinking about that, I realized that's an appropriate response to your God, to be able to acknowledge, I trust in you, God, but I want to cry out to you and say it's hard. And God will minister to that. What makes grumbling or complaining a sin in is the heart behind those words. Grumbling is tainted by pride, it's self-centered in nature, and it takes God's grace and goodness for granted, as if it's our right, not a privilege. When we grumble, we kind of stand aloof from God. Crying out to God says, what I'm going through is hard, God. Grumbling says, God, you are hard. Grumbling says this, crying out says, I need your help, Father God. Grumbling says, this is your fault, God. Crying out to God says, I trust, even though I don't understand why. That is faith in action. Grumbling says, this is unfair. You've done this to me, now fix it and give me what I deserve. Now, I know most of us wouldn't express these things out loud, but I've no doubt that there's not a person listening that has not grumbled or complained about people, circumstances, our politicians, leaders, our work or our relationships, even the ministry stuff we're involved with. And my prayer is that if that characterizes you right now, that you would stop right now, this moment, and ask God according to his awesome mercy and grace to forgive and to restore. So getting back to the question at hand, if it's true that grumbling and complaining is so displeasing to God, how do we avoid them? How do we avoid this such present temptation in our lives? Well, just quickly, let me go through. Firstly, remember God's faithfulness. I have this wonderful small group that I'm a part of. I love catching up and meeting together. And one of the things that we try and remind each other of regularly um, through as we share the challenges of life is through, to remind each other our God is faithful. The God who has been faithful in the past is faithful now. That same God will remain faithful in the future. Remember God's faithfulness. Acknowledge who we are truly grumbling against. Ultimately, it's our relationship with God that we undermine through a grumbling heart. Acknowledge that He is sovereign in our lives. 
recognise ultimately where complaining, where grumbling is going to lead. It leads to unbelief. It leads to not believing in the faithfulness of our God. Except apart from a transformed heart, we are destined to repeat over and over. Without keeping in step with the Spirit, we will continue in the cycle of those in the wilderness wanderings. If we want to be set free to that, from that, it requires a change of heart. It requires more than that. It requires the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ to transform us. Fifthly, I want to share uh, about Sabbath rest in talking about this. See there, towards the end of chapter 16, it talks about, uh, as the Bible describes, particularly the Old Testament, Sabbath rest. Our Creator God knows the limitations of human endeavour. He knows working day after day without some form of physical or spiritual rest will at some point catch up with us. It's hard to think clearly, to act wisely, to engage effectively in those relationships we deem important, beginning, of course, in our relationship with the Lord. It's hard to grow our faith when we are physically, emotionally, and mentally spent. God introduced Sabbath rest but it was never designed to be a list of rules and regulations to follow as the Pharisees had turned it into, or even, I might say, what those of us in, perhaps even in our own church, might turn it into. It's meant to benefit us, to allow the time to rest and recuperate and have a moment to reflect on those things that are truly important to us. As I said, starting first and foremost with our walk with the Lord. Friends, it's important that you rest, that you not get sucked in to what is going on around us and thinking that busyness is next to godliness. Take time to rest, to reflect on the goodness of God. If your endeavours over time are such that there is no time for rest and allowing the Lord to minister to you through the many ways, the many ways that we have available to the to us today, it can be no surprise when our actions and our attitudes begin to distance ourselves from our Saviour. So in conclusion, what do we learn? What do we learn from this passage? What do we learn about grumbling? If you read through this passage quickly, you might answer, gee, if you grumble and complain enough, God, God does stuff. If you grumble and complain enough, God answers. God provides. But in truth, we see the incredible patience, kindness, the Father heart of God as he graciously provides for his people who are far from appreciative. And I think every one of us can be thankful, can be eternally grateful that that continued faithfulness and grace is poured out on us today. For me, the words of 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6 have been used by God many times over the years to challenge, to redirect my thinking when I've taken the wonder of God's grace for granted and grumbled about my circumstances. Paul says there to his disciple Timothy, he says, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we'll take nothing out of it. I think perhaps the opposite of grumbling or complaining is just that, It's contentment. 
being able to say, wherever I am, whatever others might do, whatever season of life I'm in, my sovereign God knows. He is there and he will sustain me. The attitude of the heart doesn't require superior intellect. It doesn't require a greater education, wealth or social standing. It doesn't even require great Bible knowledge. It doesn't require that you've been a Christian for 10, 20, 30, 50 years. Who knows? This attitude requires faith. It requires one to say, I believe in the goodness of my God. I will be content with where he has led me. Friends, it's entirely possible to sing the wondrous hymns of praise that we sing about on a Sunday morning, about our great God, about our Saviour, and be grumbling in our heart about something before we even walk out these doors. As we drive home, as we go about the week ahead, only when we can, by faith, believe in our heart that through the circumstances of life, that whether they be good or difficult, He is sovereign. He will not abandon us or allow us to endure more than we're able. That is our faith living in action. Parents, it's what your kids notice every day. It helps to shape how our work colleagues or friends, how our neighbours see our faith in action. It contributes to the environment in which we minister to each other as a church family as we meet together. It's so easy to take the grace of God for granted. The grace of God that is ultimately expressed, revealed to us in Jesus Christ and think we need more or we must do more. Or to think we somehow deserve all we possess and when something is taken away, blame rather than cry out and run to God. God's dealings with the wilderness wanderings reveal the chasm between man and God, and it's sin. Grumbling, complaining brings this starkly into focus. Yet while we wander around thinking we're masters of our own destiny, God calls you and I to the foot of the cross. Jesus says, my burden is light, you'll find rest for yourself. Godliness with contentment, friends, is great gain. If you'd like to know more about that, if you'd like to discuss that more, please talk to someone. Don't leave without exploring it further. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, these things are written for our instruction. But Paul closes that section in verse 12, and he says these words, These things are written for your instruction, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Don't let pride of life say, this isn't an issue for me, I'm all good. Humbly bring this before the Lord. Do everything without grumbling and complaining that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. Let me pray. Oh, Father God, I just pray that as a church community and as individuals that make it up, you would continue to shape us and mould us into people who will shine a light for you, who will reveal the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around us.
Oh Lord God, if there be a grumbling spirit within us, would you reveal that? Would you give us the courage to bring that to you? Would you teach us what it means to uh, bring our groans, our cries to you, our great God who hears and answers, and, it, and help us to expose in our own hearts those areas that are really opportunities for us to complain against you. Uh, reveal our hearts to us. Uh, may we be pure in you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.